from there, we can move on to our main discussion, probably. Yes. We are going to talk about the new Netflix movie, The Devil All the Time, which has mixed reviews for some reason. Um, Dude, that's what? What's it at right now? On Metascore, it's like at a 54, man. On Rotten Tomatoes, it's got like 60-something. It's, it's that's weird. I know. It's ridiculous. Um, that's, yeah. I can't see it. I, I, I read, mean, okay, so I, here's a more accurate, like Google, I look at, I like looking at the Google users uh, review. So 92% of regular Google reviewers I know. like it. So that's pretty drastically different. From and the meta score for, for regular users is way different. It's so meta score is like 54 and for users mm-hmm. it's 7.9. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, that's, it just feels like, Ooh, even on, so Ron, wow. We're, so we're going to really start this episode by talking about the reviews. All right. Uh, Ron Tomatoes even big audience scores 82%. So, all right. I guess the point of what we're just saying right now is don't trust Ron Tomatoes and those kind of Metacritic. Like that. Those critics are fucking yeah. full of themselves. And how out of touch with like a f- f- audience reaction though? No. Well, it's pretty out of touch. Kind of like the Last Jedi. I was thinking the same thing. It's exactly like the Last Jedi, pretty much. Um, but yeah, let's talk about this movie, The Devil All the Time. Yes. Uh, um, yeah. I'll let you, I'll let you start because you've probably watched okay. it more recently. <laughs> I, I actually watched it recently again today. Oh, a really? Bit of it. Okay. Yeah. I thought about so, that, but yeah. it's a long movie, and I was like, I want to just. Yeah, I wanted to show it to people. Actually, I wanted to show it to like my dad and my mom. So like, just after dinner, we started watching a bit of it. Um, but yeah, what, what can I? How do I start off with this? Um, initial well, thoughts. Again, well, yeah, initial thoughts. I'll, I'll try to say it without any spoilers initially. So it's, it's a period film, right? It's um, set in. So the southern states of America during the 1940s, 1950s. So very specific setting, very specific type of people and very specific time period that we're introduced to, like a rural small town America, essentially. Yeah, it's, and, they call it the Bible yeah. Belt. Yeah, that's exactly. I, I guess it would be a part of the Bible Belt. Yeah. yeah. Um, And so it's the movie is also based off a book, I think by the same title. Same the title. Devil all the time. Yeah, and it's written by an author named... Donald Ray Pollock, who is also the uh, narrator of this film, which is crazy. Yeah, pretty I, interesting. I want to I want to riff off a point from that because yeah. a lot of a lot of people and me included, I kind of interpret it, the narrator. Um, I, I kind of thought he was a little redundant in the film, but then I I thought about it. I was like, well, he's kind of like a um, a stand-in for God, the All-Knowing, mm. right? Yeah, which makes that's, sense. That's exactly what I think too, because God you know, from a religious standpoint, created the world. And in this standpoint, Donald Ray Pollock literally created this world. And the characters and yeah, it, that's an interesting introspection. Like he is uh, talking about, so the, the narration is very much like a literary narration in this film. It's uh, it's talking about the characters, like he's the God voice or like the voice in their head, the, the all above all seeing eye essentially kind of voice. And yeah, that's an interesting connection that he's literally the god for these characters because he created this world and created these characters and all that. So yeah, good connection. And I do want to get into that point. I think that's a really big point that you just brought up. Um, there, this film has is kind of about um, in a broad sense like man's connection to God uh, and like the things man does in the name of God and women, um, but the things like human beings do in the name of God and like just our our long connection 
to God, you know? So I think it's like a really interesting and appropriate setting and time period that it takes place in, um, right in the Bible Belt. And like all the characters are these like church-going, happy-go-lucky kind of very simple people, very simple... Humble people. Uh, what's that? Humble people. Very simple, humble people. They go to church yeah. on Sundays for a good community structure because that's what people exactly. do in small towns. I can attest to that because... I come from a small town and we have five, no, four churches. And mm. that's just what people did on Sundays. Yeah. So I'm wondering from you, was there like from just your own experience and upbringing, were there, obviously this is set in like the 1940s and 50s. So I'm not trying to say where you're from is anywhere remotely similar, but is there, could you see a likeness in people, like in the behaviors of characters and shit like that? And like how people talked or how people behaved with, their community stuff like that because this movie is really community centered it's a really um uh just like centers around a community of people it doesn't go outside the community um maybe but did you kind of compare or did you see a resemblance in in, in the small town of the modern world i could relate asking, to it I guess. quite a bit um yeah not necessarily okay, cool. to the extremes that happen within this film that surround the community but um from a generalist sort of standpoint where everyone knows each other. I believe there's a line in the book that says everyone's either related by blood or tragedy. And that kind of yeah. feels like my situation in town where people are either related literally um, or there's like events that sort of correspond within the town that bring people together. So mm -hmm. it, I was able to relate really well to the, to the film. Um, not necessarily that it came from a religious family. I didn't. I think the only time I went to church was to get baptized and to see my cousins get baptized. But um, coming from this sort of small community where people are humble and they, you know, if there's a problem, then they work it out themselves most of the time. And I could really yeah. relate to a lot of that. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I find that interesting. It's the reason I asked is because this movie is set in 1950s Bible Belt America and we live in 2020 Ontario, Canada. Um, so that's a, I just wanted to see like, how does that compare to the people of today? And, and the reason that it's, this question comes up because this movie is really just about human beings and people and the people that live on earth. Like I know I'm time broad, but that's at the root of it. It's a story about uh, just like, these these how do i start uh, what's yeah it's it's a complicated story because there, there's like four main plot lines there's four plot lines yeah and they're Is all related it, yeah, yeah there's four i think i think there's four there's four main plot lines and they all sort of okay, interweave yeah. and they connect with each other and there's like either yes. really tiny interactions between them from the beginning and throughout the middle mm -hmm. of the story until they all eventually collide at the end which i thought was yeah. brilliant yeah, I and I didn't notice that until my second viewing, the small kind of weaving the threads that weave together. Uh, but yeah, that's a good place to start. So uh, you're kind of going through perspective of multiple characters uh, in this in this community. Uh, one of those characters is this guy named Willard. Um, he is coming back home from World War II fighting in Japan. Yep. And coming back to his simple life, his simple family. Um and when he comes back home, he immediately basically falls in love with this woman, right? Yes. Um, Charlotte. And he's in a diner and he, here's like the thing. He So at that same interaction point where 
he i wonder if you caught this he he meets his wife or his future wife mm-hmm. um if he had like talked to the waitress earlier on that waitress was like an, one another one of the main characters the murdering couple mm-hmm. the murdering travel couple um so there's there's that's another storyline there's this traveling husband wife couple that are serious these really heinous acts on yeah. people on 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 um what do you call those people uh serial killers people, Cheney? serial killers what, what's no 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 not i know what serial killers are hitchhikers oh yeah, 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 yeah hitchhikers yeah. okay their targets are hitchhikers right so there's a really uh beautiful narration in the beginning the way the narrator kind of describes the characters is cool so it's 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 like a way to set up like the tension of future events to come i guess uh like right when we meet the the beautiful waitress like what's the actress's name um that's a good question she she i don't know she's a she's an obscure actress i don't think i've seen her in many riley things, but ko oh, okay yeah cool so and um jason clark the guy who's from like terminator genesis and other movies and shit so there he's like flirting with her and whatever and like just making small conversation and making her laugh and smile and like above that the the narrator's like so they would go on to be the um known as the shooter and the 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 model or something like that yeah i like he's the narration is kind of speaking over them from a very godly perspective of like telling you this is who they become while we're seeing how they interact i don't know if that makes sense but initially right when we meet them we learn that these guys are a murdering serial killer couple um which is like for me as an audience like when you receive that kind of information you're now immediately like every anticipating every time these guys are going to be on scene and what they do um so it's like a really it, it like sets up these guys like a kind of like a time bomb throughout the movie um and that's just one plot that's just left to kind of do its thing and, and kind of interweave, come back in and out of our, our main story. And the main story focuses around this guy, Willard, and him setting up a family for himself. Um, Chaney, do you want to get into spoilers like right now? or mm, Hold on. I, I got some more things that we could probably talk about. Or do you about. want to get into it? Because um, yeah, I, I want to talk about the story more more than the plot. I want to talk about the but characters you, just generally. Um, this is a okay, very give, give off the character intro. Um, a lot of criticisms I've seen online is that it's like not really a plot centric movie. There's no plot. People are saying, which is yeah. fucking ridiculous. That's not true. But there is a plot to guide the characters, but it's all about characters. It movie. is all about. Characters. It's all about the story. Yeah, the characters and how they form a story together. Yes, exactly. Um, this this char- yeah. this sort of um well it kind of makes sense when you see like the lineup of actors that they have but like you get these lineup Mm -hmm. of characters as well and Mm -hmm. much to sort of i want i'm not going to say this movie is like a quentin tarantino movie but much to quentin tarantino's philosophy of just creating characters first and then plopping them into settings and seeing how the story unfolds Mm -hmm. this is what that movie feels like which is you know great for me because obviously yeah. like there's lots of things for me to sink my teeth into in terms of character interactions and character philosophies and theses presented through character actions and yeah you know. there's a lot of that to read into I, I know you had a good time sinking your teeth into like into what this film is trying to say because i i for sure was like yeah this film has a lot to say it does and it, it doesn't really give a definitive conclusion to anything which i like no it's sort I of like it too. just presents 
things to you it presents an art maybe i don't know if it's even as far as to say an argument maybe it is but it presents you with thesis right it, it just it presents, presents you with you... arguments but also presents you with conflicting arguments within the same movie sure so let's get into this the, these characters because it's all about who these characters are and what they represent essentially yeah um yeah so let's get into that so i you, guess you start off we can start with yeah. willard himself which is the first character we're introduced to um again yeah. we're going to start spoiling now and coming home, he's sort of lost his faith through a very traumatic incident that happened within the Pacific War where he had to basically put a soldier out of misery that was crucified by the Japanese. And he was sickened by the sight of a cross ever since because obviously like, the way they depict it was absolutely horrendous. It was disgusting. Mm. It was no holds barred. Like, I'm in for a ride when I saw this. Um, yeah, that's the first imagery in the in the movie that gets you. Um, it's a it's a powerful imagery because the movie is all about like religion and 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 all that. So you get a cross. You're seeing a cross, but you're seeing a man hanging on the cross, and he's alive and bleeding, and there's flies eating at his face, and so it's very visceral and very impactful. It's imagery that sticks with you, th- like as it sticks with the character Willard and kind of pushes his character on his journey. It is meant to also stick with us, which it does. Right. And due to his loss of faith, he sort of forgoes his church-going duties. Like, he still goes, but he's not really interested. Reluctantly. He's, yeah. He reluctantly goes, yeah. So while he could have married the nice church-going lady that his mother had set up with him, he had his mind elsewhere because at that point in his life, he wasn't really church-centered. He needed to find some other way to, to get grounded back into reality. Because mm-hmm. what was normal for him then is no longer normal now because of what happened to mm-hmm. him. What was normal for him then was to be a good church-going man for the community. But ever since that traumatic experience, like, how could you ever forget that? And just seeing crosses everywhere, it's got to freak him out. So yeah. when he meets um, Charlotte, I believe her name is. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, that's sort of an opportunity for him as a character to get regrounded to life again. Um, Mm -hmm. this is his new, he, he sort of focuses his faith onto something else. Like a family. Yes. And a home, like the whole idea of like that classical American dream, you buy a house, you own the house, you and your wife live in that house and you have a kid and they have a lot of grass to play on. Like that's pretty much word for word. What their plan is, is to buy off a house and enough, enough land essentially for, to have a happy family. And it's a beautiful dream. Obviously. Beautiful, simple dream, yeah. But obviously this character is conflicted because he's come from a faith background and he knows that's still something that lingers within him. So he feels it's right to eventually get good with his maker again because he's still a God-fearing person. It's just that it's uncomfortable for him to do so. Confront God. To confront God in that, in the classic situation which he's used to, but he finds a new way to do it. Yeah. In this new mm-hmm. home that he made he creates his own church and it's like this is a this is some sort of safer place for him to conduct worship and and get back with with god in, in a safer yeah. way because it's i guess it's more homely because it, it's a it's more of an extension of his dream the, yeah. his own church rather than going to a community-based church it's literally like in his backyard he like sets up a cross on a tree mound and and he prays on the on the hump Mm-hmm. of the tree and that's his church it's pretty simple and this character has this philosophy of 
you know, uh, what's the line? Some people are born just get put into the grave. Oh, I love. No, no, that's not his line. That's that's the cop's line. I love that line though. Oh, what's he has some sort of similar philosophy? Unless he unless he also said it, which would be weird. But no, the cop says that to um to to Tom Holland. All right. Later on. Um. But he has this sort of philosophy. Like there are like obviously coming from a war experience. Like there are like evil people in this world some men are just yeah no good dirty rotten people and he he believes that you should take business in your own hands to confront those people which um i think it's i think it's one of my favorite scenes when he takes when he's uh talking to his kid yeah uh, or, or yeah so his we when we're introduced to his son um arvin not arvin yeah before he's played by tom holland it's like the younger nine-year-old version of his son he's like he comes home gets beat up by some kids at school or something as a black guy and as his father takes him out out to church essentially to pray over over what happened and he's like i really want you to think about what happened there i really want you to like talk to god about this you know and he's tells him essentially like you can't let these things you have to end it. You have to be the one that ends. Which echoes what my father right. used to say to me. So I related to Tom Holland's character mm. immensely throughout this movie. Mm-hmm. Damn, yeah. Because it was it's sort of an old hockey principle. To sure, it's a heavy thing to to hear as a kid. I would imagine, like, to have those kind of conversations with your with like a father and son. You know, kind of. My father uh, never I wanted me to being... fight in school, and I never did. But he uh, said, if someone uh-huh. gets into a fight with you, you have to finish it. Yeah. That's what he would say to me. And same thing with hockey. It's like, you know, don't start shit, but people start certain shit, make sure to end it. Then you got to finish it. Yeah. Exactly. Which, and then he sees this, then he sees what his father really means by this. Um, oh yeah. So while they're, while they're praying, it's uh, these two like poachers, trappers or hunters or whatever, uh, see them praying and make a remark about uh, Willard's wife. And Willard hears this, but he tells like, and the son hears it too, Arvin, but he just says, keep praying. They're not, they're not in church you know we're in church right now we're just gonna keep praying um and then he brings his kid along with him and says watch watch what i mean by this is what you finish when you finish things and he just like almost to death beats these guys in front of his kid yeah yeah and then then the narrator voice goes like this is a moment this is like arvin's happiest day with his dad or some shit like that yeah his favorite day with his dad yeah which which makes sense because it goes on to enforce like his character and his actions and um essentially this is like the biggest lesson his father passes down to him Mm -hmm. visibly this is from from this point on like it's an interesting time to say this is his happiest moment with his dad because from this point forward in the movie is when it's not really going in his favor Um, yeah it um of course tragedy befalls the family mother gets cancer um and this this person that sort of grounded him back in reality and allowed him to restore his own faith, he now turns to his faith to try to save her in return, um, but does so in a very unhealthy way. It starts to look like he's losing his shit, essentially. Yeah. So um, he, it's not like the traditional, like he forces his son to pray for his mother um here's what i thought was kind of fucked up he he 
puts like an insane amount of pressure first of all on the kid kid. yeah yeah i was about to say that but almost like almost like makes it sound like it's his responsibility to pray his mother back to life like if you're not praying hard enough that's why she's dead so it's it's a pretty it was a pretty fucked up situation a father-son situation where like you obviously you get a sense like this was willard's like kind of last cling to like goodness of life you know was his wife and his family and like you can tell like yeah this guy coming from pain he's not crazy but he's desperate you know and and god being this thing as like okay like all you need to do is pray to god and god's there for you and god is everywhere like that's what you're kind of being told in church or whatever and um so this is where they turn this is like they're immediately turning to god like take our take this pain away from us but in a way where it's like in a way where it's it's actually creating more problems yeah immensely and um i believe the book goes into more detail about this side of willard um but he takes alvin's dog whom he loves and is shown to love mm-hmm. immensely yeah and yeah this was a hard scene yeah. for me to watch <laughs> when he oh, when man. i saw the dog step outside and i was watching with my buddies i out of went yeah. no 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 <laughs> So he sacrificed. Well, because like even yeah. the scene, the scene right before it, he's um he's in a bar and he he notices a like a deer head mounted mm-hmm. on the wall, and he starts thinking about it. He's like he gets this he gets this wild notion of sacrifice mm-hmm. and like sacrificing for God and the whole story of uh of uh, Abraham putting his child on the altar of sacrifice for God and doing things in the name of God. Like that's what this movie is fucking about. It's like this guy is a he kills his son's dog in the name of God because he thinks this is actually going to do something to bring my wife back. So this is like, this is where we're at. These are these characters, essentially. It's a great introduction into the mindset of these characters, essentially. And in the book, where, yes, he doesn't just stop at the dog. Yeah. He, oh, okay. He doesn't kill people, but like he will just like go out hunting and bring home animals and do like sacrificial altar shit. Ooh. So. Yeah, see, if they did that in the movie, it would have really, it, it would have uh, like changed how you look at this guy, this character. Yeah. Um, but you can still sympathize with him. Like, obviously he's doing this yeah, yeah. out of blind faith he's, and he's like, he thinks this is the faith. only solution to the problem that he has, which is the biggest problem in his entire life. And you can't blame him for what he's doing because this is yeah. just the circumstances he was dealt. But obviously yeah, it's extremely I, I, tragic and it, it affects Elvin in for sure a plethora of ways. I for sure sympathize with him. And I think that's like, what you just said is probably like one of the big themes of this movie, which is having blind faith in something, whether that be God, which is in the case of this movie is like the biggest thing. Right. But, um, that idea of blind faith is exactly what we see. And, and like how that, how that like really just like turns this guy crazy in a way, I guess. Like, I don't know if crazy is the right word. Um, but just like disconnected from like his son in a really big way. Yeah. Because after that, he, like so nothing works obviously like killing the dog didn't work praying all day and night doesn't work so eventually willard just takes his own life yeah on, on in the church in his church in his church after uh, and, charlotte succumbs to cancer so yeah after the day that she the day that they bury charlotte uh, arvin's mother willard takes his own life and the boy finds his dead dad mm-hmm. essentially and that sort of puts so, him on this not anti-faith path but this rejection of faith because he was lied to he he mm-hmm. he couldn't save his mother he got put he got all this pressure put on him basically saying yeah. like 
you know, pray. If you pray hard enough, your mother will be saved. And he did pray hard and his mother wasn't saved. He was lied to. And that scene where he's walking out to his father's suicide site where he's like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm done. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, Arvin ends up being my favorite character out of this, out of this movie. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he's the main character, but there's like the amount of shit you kind of see this kid go, like you're really with him along his journey. Like you see the events that transform in this guy, transform this guy. And like, why is he the way he is? You, you understand that. Like by the time Tom Holland is now like years past now, Tom Holland is playing the role of Arvin, right? He's like, I think it's like 10 years later or something like that. Maybe 19, 20 years old. Um, and he's like now the man of the house. Like he's not some kid. Like he has a lot of pain in his eyes. Like he's gone through some shit, which you can see and you can understand that. So as opposed to just starting the movie off with Tom Holland, here's your main character and here's the story. It's like, I really love how it sets you up with like the shit that his father did and how, how it affects him moving forward. Like how all that stuff with, um, with the church and praying and, and losing his dog, even that ends up being a really big, uh, tr like kind of maybe even bigger than his father dying was, I think that the, the fact that he killed his dog. Yeah. Uh, in, in Arvin, in young Arvin's eyes. Cause like in that time, Arvin wasn't like a um, pop pick and he got bullied at school and this dog was like his best friend. So yeah, it's extremely yeah. tragic. Um, and Arvin is, so yeah, Arvin, it's like, he just becomes this like hard edged, young adult by the time uh we move forward in the story he's an extension of parts of his father yeah, for in sure, a lot for of sure. ways um most notably obviously that were if stuff happens that he takes situations into his own hands quite violently well he, he yeah he really ran with the idea of finishing things like come back and finishing off those fights like he really took that and ran with it yeah. um, which we get to see he, he really is his father's son in this movie. That's that's what we get right. to see. He, he sort of displays, uh, this was done in the truck scene before he, not not Tom Holland. When, when Willard talks to him, he's like, um, oh, goodness me. I had it and I lost it. There was something said there. Oh, well, he's talks to him it's about, like, um, it's not something he wants to do. It's something that he has to do, right? Hmm. And that sort of leads him into the finale. This is not yeah, something he yeah, wanted completely. to do, but this is something that he feels is right to do based yeah. on what was... Based on everything he knows. Yeah, based on what yeah. was yeah, based on passed down to him, yeah. Exactly. So yeah, this... Yeah, I love that. I love how this is... Um, this is like... In his story, in his journey, it's like dealing with the, the sins of the father that are now the, the kind of responsibilities of the son, almost. So like, he lives with his uh, his grandmother and his uncle, or and her uncle. So, oh as we should also mention parallel to this, what is going on? There's a lot of parallel stories being told, right? So this is just, this is, um, Arvin's journey and parallel to that. There's, there was the character that, um, Willard was supposed to marry the church girl, right? From the beginning, mm -hmm. she ends up, you know, love at first sight with the preacher of that, that day in church where, uh, Willard was supposed to meet and in his mother's eyes hopefully fall in love with that church girl she instead fell in love with um the preacher and i i on my second viewing i heard the uh, narrator say this that the mother forever felt that she disappointed god by not like coming true to the promise of of matching her son with um with helen i think is her name yeah helen's her name 
yeah um so she promises god i'm gonna i'm gonna match these guys together so it's an interesting narration that she takes the blame she she has a bad feeling that something bad will happen because she she broke her promise with god um i thought that was a really interesting line and, and there's all these little just like throw the kind of lines thrown at you that are all like foreshadowing the things to come which is like really amazing another one is like the preacher who is a lunatic essentially um kind of all encompassing belief in god and that he is you know he's truly a, a messenger of god and he's here to show these people like the power of god and the holy spirit and all that so he dumps like a shit ton of spiders on his face and he's like i used to have a fear of spiders and i used to be really scared and hide away from them but now with the power of god i'm not afraid of spiders and all the church when people are like losing their shit like holy fuck this guy is mean he means business he's not afraid of spiders now because of god yeah and and, and that and, leads and to the girl falls in love and is like that's oh if all i knew was you know, throw a bunch of spiders on your face and say, I ain't scared. And now a girl falls in love with you. Like shit, there's your hack. Yeah. That's a life hack. I'm not vacuuming up spiders after that. Yeah. <laughs> and then he get, evidently gets bit by a spider too, yeah. which is funny. Which um, leads to the funniest scene in the movie in yeah. such a but fucking there, grim way. Ugh. There's also a line that the grandmother says, which I think represents another part of this movie importantly, which is, uh, she just says it really off the cuff to Willard, which is, oh, I think he's taking his belief and faith a little too far. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you caught that. That's, yeah. I, <laughs> for sure. I think that's beautiful. That's like, because that's like the grandmother who's supposed to be the most kind of Jesus-loving woman in the in the movie, mm-hmm. kind of. You know, like, at least that the archetype is what that represents. It's like the church-going grandma, you know, mm-hmm. who bakes and does all this stuff, like whatever. Uh, she's the one that has the self-aware line, like, oh, I think this guy's going a little too far with his faith. Mm-hmm. Um, which echoes kind of his story. This, this preacher in that introduction becomes now an integral component to the story because him and Helen get married. Instead of Helen and Willard get married, getting married and having a kid, it's Helen and this preacher. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have a daughter named Lenora. Yes. Who is, I think, a couple years younger than um, Arwen. Arwen, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so... Lenora is just a baby at the time, but uh, Helen, her mother, sends Lenora to stay with Arwen's grandmother for like the day. For a, they're going on a day trip somewhere. Yeah. Um, Helen and and the preacher. And yeah, so you were you were actually just saying the setup to what was going on with yeah. the spider. Why don't you finish that? So he eventually gets bitten by a spider and locks himself in the closet because he has his face just got puffed up and he sort of loses his faith in God in that point. Um, but eventually he or he's i thought he was like questioning it he's like god tell me give me some answers of what i can do like give me some power like yeah, he was exactly expecting god to like give him a, uh an answer like in the closet kind right. of situation and if you stay in a closet for two weeks you're uh, eventually yeah, gonna you're go good. a little crazy and he thought delusional yeah <laughs> okay good nice call out um <laughs> yeah he gets well delusional and he believes yeah. that he now has the power to resurrect and resurrect. god has some sort of plan and he takes his lovely unsuspecting wife helen out on a date and kills her in anticipation to fulfill his new plan that god has for him in resurrecting her but she doesn't resurrect and yeah so this is this became probably my favorite scene in the movie weirdly enough like this is when when this scene happened i was on for the ride of this movie full force really? like i was 
I was there. I, so he lures his wife out and immediately, you know, you're, you know, you're like, all right, creepy preacher who is a little going crazy right now. Like you could anticipate where this is going. One also because the narration, the narrator device that they use kind of sets this up. Um, like as soon as Helen drops her kid off uh, to the grandmother, the narrator comes in. This is the last time Helen would ever see Lorena. Yeah. Um, and you're like, oh, well, what the fuck is about to go down? You know, like, what's wh- where, where are you going to take her? Uh, where are you going to take her there, preacher boy? Mm-hmm. And uh, he's like, oh, we're going to go on a little walk. That's just me and you. And then and then his brother, the wheelchair guy, is in the back who plays the guitar. and say, like, no, don't worry. I'm just going to sleep in the car. So your tension as an audience is like, it's there. It's, you know, you just heard some shit's about to go down. So you're anticipating it. It's a really effective use of narration in this movie. Um, anyway, so he brings his wife out into the middle of the forest and it's like oh you know like god has a plan for me and god has a plan for you and don't worry like I, he's basically like relaxing her like about preparing her for what's about to happen and then just like out of nowhere just shanks her in the throat yeah and then just like in one swift motion god and you're like, oh i knew that was gonna happen resurrect god i'm here resurrect it's time just over and over and over yeah. So he well, first he watches his wife bleed out, like he's pretty intrigued by this visual of his wife bleeding. Yeah, out. that left me kind of confused because so, like, yeah. you don't know if he's psycho at this point. Oh, no, he's psycho. Like he's, he's psycho, sure but like psycho, you don't but, understand why he's doing it, and then immediately you're yeah. like, oh no, really? Yeah. It, well, this is when this is when it really clicks. It's like he so he waits for his wife to bleed out, and she's laying there like dead, dead as a rock, and he like hovering over her body's like. All right, God, now do your thing. I, I did my part. Now you do your thing. Work through me, God, and resurrect. Yeah. Resurrect. Like, and he's like channeling the air above him into the body. And as soon as he's like, well, God, why aren't you doing anything? He starts to be like, starts to question God. Like, hey, hey God, you there? Yeah. God? Exactly. I love that, man. It's like, hey, God, you th- you listening? You hear? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, it's just, it, it like goes out to the biggest wide shot. And it's just this lunatic hovering over his dead wife's body. Mm-hmm that he just killed like and he's all by himself in the in the forest like it's such a oh it's a fucked up scene but it made me laugh and it made me like yeah it's definitely an iconic scene of this movie it's an iconic scene yeah because then right after that right we're in we're in this guy's car he's he's realized what he's done so this is when um when you realize okay maybe the character's not full-on psycho psychotic like he's not a psychotic preacher he has some sense because he's feeling guilt for killing his wife in the car and he's like, oh, maybe I should just go to the police and, and tell them this was an accident. And his brother goes, you stabbed your wife in the neck with and a then screwdriver. buried her with a screwdriver and then buried her. It's like, it just makes you seem like you're crazy, bro. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I love that. And then uh, that obviously sets that him show. off to eventually encounter one of the other plot lines being Carl and Sandy. That we were, yeah. And that's the the first couple that we were introduced to um, in the diner parallel to willard and um charlotte and charlotte that's yeah so parallel to that was um carl and sandy roy roy no carl and sandy yeah not roy yeah um roy's the preacher carl and sandy who um carl is a photographer and and sandy's their a stories babe. a little yeah she's just a hot babe their stories kind of told in pieces you just you meet them at that point as like this is their introduction then you meet them again at this point of roy's story um where he is he hitchhiking and he gets a he gets a ride from Carl and Sandy, and it's seemingly 
it's seemingly um like not unsuspicious i guess but you you kind of remember that narration from the beginning that they call their killing their they they're serial killers and they call them their their victims the models or something right yeah so you're set up with that line and you're just like something's about to go down with roy right um and they they're like yeah let's let's go into the forest for a little picnic weirdly enough it's like yeah i'll I'll do that roy goes along with them uh and when he gets there what's his name carl pulls out a gun to roy and says i want you to have sex with my wife (laughs) and at first i thought okay so this is just a weird cuckold situation i like i almost forgot about the whole murder aspect i thought like oh they're just weird like that i i i'm like where does the murdering tie into this though uh which is great that they make you question that throughout the movie because when it hits you at the end you're like fuck dude anyways roy um he's he's like now for some reason like developed a sense of agency of his own where he's like yeah i'm just gonna take life into my own hands now and gun pointed at him he says no i'm not gonna have sex with your wife redemption i'm not gonna fuck your wife redemption Hmm? yeah this is exactly that's this is uh, an interesting moment of redemption, really weird, con- confusing moment. But at the same time, he's redeeming himself. He's, you know, fearlessly ready to die instead of fucking this guy's wife. Yes. Um, and he gets shot for it. Yeah. He dies. Unce- dies. Unceremoniously. And that sort of. Unceremoniously. That, that this is like the early part of Carl and Sandy's career. And this is like Carl sort of unfolding where he feels most alive and i believe the line is he feels closest to god when he's in the presence of death and yeah, that's literally the line yeah. yeah he um he's a sick motherfucker as the narrator also says he's a yeah. sick fuck and he is so what so what carl does in the name of god is castrate um these men that he forces to have sex with his wife yeah. and then takes pictures of the entire ordeal Right, and a lot um, of what this movie is is characters yeah. and their connection to faith. So yeah, Arvin, and, like, Arvin and the sort things of, they do in yeah. the name of faith. So Arvin has no faith or little faith, which sort of drives him down his storyline. Um, his stepsister Lenora is much like her mother, sort of blinded by faith, which sets down yeah her path to tragedy. And then Carl is has his strongest faith with with a sense of death, so that's what he carries out. And Sandy, uh, I'm a little confused by Sandy. She's she's just a very she's, tragic. She's just along for the ride. She's a very tragic. Yeah, she's character. tragic. Yeah. yeah, she's the also also the cop that it's a really like we could get into like a three hour discussion if we talked all about the characters in this. I feel, um, but it's a really complicated like multiple storylines that tie in together there's the cop that is related of, to sandy um, sandy's brother yeah the the cop that uh comes in and kind of helps out young arwen when his father dies like who's there with him is the brother of sandy and and they have their own very complicated relationship and his plot line is really confusing where he's a cop but he's a shady cop and he knows his brother is this or his sister is this like weird uh she he picks up she picks up hitchhikers and does these weird sex things doesn't know the full extent of it but he knows that much and his whole concern or his whole problem is that oh how is this gonna make people look at me yeah like his thing is less god related but it's more ego driven his thing is more or his character is more 
uh, like the whole world revolves around him and how is my life going to be affected by my sister being a whore or, or, you know, that's his predicament. Essentially. He wants to be, he wants power. He wants to be like the mayor or something like yeah, that. I guess he, he wants to be voted yeah. up in politics. So it's, that's his storyline. I think. Yeah. Which is, um, he's an interesting character. And it, I'll say this. It, it was my least favorite part of in the middle of the movie to kind of keep poking into his story because in the middle, like in the middle of it, it just felt so disconnected from the like the main storyline. I'd agree with that. Like until until the end, where things start to tie back. But in that middle, when it's kind of intercutting from one story to the other, I that became my least favorite part. The kind of the movie kind of functions that way though. In a in in a weird way to where things seem disconnected. And the entire time I'm watching yeah. the movie, I'm like, how the fuck are they going to weave this back in? And yeah, lo and yeah. behold. You know, as soon as like you get to that when there's half hour left in the movie, you're like, okay, yeah. this is gonna happen. Okay, I'm gonna call this. Oh, it's happening. So he and everything sort he of essentially sp- becomes yeah, falls in it, place. it becomes yeah, it falls in place, but almost conveniently. Like he suddenly becomes like the world's greatest detective. Like this guy's now Batman. He solves every question and like that the movie throws at you in one scene, and now he knows Arwen is the guy that kills his sister. So now we're really jumping to the end, but essentially. Uh, Carl and Sandy. Oh, we didn't even talk about fucking Pattinson yet in this movie. Oh, we're really jumping. Yeah, we. Really That's are. an important one. He's a despicable person. Right. This guy Correct. is horrible. Like his his introductory scene is. It just made me feel so uncomfortable when his, mm. you know, Arvin's grandmother is considered one of the best cooks in the town. And she does a mean chicken liver, whatever. Because hmm. obviously they're not a very wealthy family, so they have to get the cheap cuts, but she's able to make it good. And when the new preacher arrives, which is Robert Pattinson's character, um, what's his name, though? Do do do. Preston. Preston. Yeah. So Preston, the new preacher. You sort of try to welcome into the community have a nice little potluck and he tastes her chicken livers and it's kind of implied that he likes it so much but that he wants to have it all to himself but he twists the story to be about him self-sacrificing eating the poor cut of meat so everyone else can have a good yeah. cut of meat and i was like you yeah. mother fuck yeah dude so he yeah i like, bet you're a, a rapist dickhead. and guess what he's a rapist so I called that spoilers. Yeah. For all the Twilight fans there. Sorry about that. But that, yeah, that, what an introduction because you feel bad, man. Like the grandmother's like crying in the, in the audience or like the group or whatever. Like he is shaming her in front of the entire church and just like, yeah, these poor people that bring in, in their, in their, in their poor cuts of meat, you know, it's okay though. For you guys, I'm going to eat this. I'll, I'll, he basically sees himself like Jesus at the stake sacrificing something Mm -hmm. sacrificing himself so that other people can have a decent meal that's in his eyes how he sees it um and so what an introduction to get you to hate the guy right obviously and i I saw a lot of criticism criticisms online about his accent being weird and like not really not really an accent that's not true it is an accent it's a i don't know how accurate of it is but it feels apparently it's a very accurate it's a super specific accent and apparently it's really accurate it's called an appalachian accent yeah and it comes from a certain part of Tennessee. So apparently it's like it's a super accurate representation of an Appalachian accent. 
Yeah, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the slave owner from Django Unchained. <laughs> Candy. Candy yeah. is his name. Yeah. Oh, you think, oh, Leo, Leo DiCaprio's character? No, 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 no. Big Sorry, Daddy. Not Candy, then. Uh, Big Daddy. Yeah, yeah, Big Daddy. It sounds like him, exactly like him. And I, that's where I, I feel like, you know, because Pattinson came up with the accent and didn't show anybody before he came on to set. So it was like a surprise to everybody. I feel like that was his inner thinking. Like, I have to go to like the worst kind of people like of that time or something like similar to that time period. So I, that in my own um, interpretation or connection, like I can see that line, like where, why is that his accent? Like who, where does this guy come from? What type of people does he come from? Like, I think the accent plays really well into, into the character. Cause it's so, it's so jarring the pitch of it. It's like, this guy is a preacher so he's coming off to be a leader like a spiritual leader in a community but a trustworthy person yet his accent is so deceptive and weasley yes and 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 weasley and piercing and like and it's like it's like it's like a stab it's like a knife kind of just jagging at you immediately like iconic so though snake-like it's so snake-like yeah you know? snake-like exactly which ties into the religion thing because snake in the garden yeah is what tempted there you go um what what tempted eve to eat the apple eve. which Ooh, which so so th- even this movie or in this case would be uh lenora yeah who's tempted she again like falls for like the preacher the same way that her mother does she's really follows a tragedy that her mother follows right well think almost. about it because her her entire life she's been bullied and the bullies constantly do a thing where they put a bag over her face and Ooh, this yeah. is the first guy who's robert pattinson so obviously very handsome that says you know hey let's not worry about that you got a pretty face you're beautiful why don't we mm-hmm. strip down because god can only see us truly in a most human form which is naked so he uh, eventually courses her into doing sexual acts with him in the name of God, but it it really is just revealed that he's a massive pervert that targets women, young women, yeah, young naive young women. women through through his power of being a preacher. Yeah, and um, he, here's the fucked up part though: he really thinks he's right. Yes, he does, which is which is super odd because because he's sort of like twists and fucks with people's minds in such a way yeah where it's like he could only really think this if he was right and he doesn't think like he's doing anything wrong which yeah. is fucked because he it's yeah oh it's hard to talk about it's like an abuse of power on another kind of a level yeah because it's like like you just said it's manipulating it's manipulating the like that side of a human being that is so insecure right when it comes to spirituality right like that's the whole f- focus of this movie is on our connection human beings connection to god and and the questions that arise from that right the existential questions and so it's a really insecure landscape setting already and this guy's using god as a as a weapon to seduce young women to having sex with him and saying it like as if he is like a, again like taking on the jesus role of of liberating people or saving people like and and the scary part is is he really believes what he's doing is okay or or right or just Mm -hmm. like the at the end of it when he's kind of confronted with tom holland i know i'm jumping up but it's such a sickening scene that like right before he gets kind of shot 
where he's defending himself and putting the blame onto Lenora. Mm-hmm. It's her right? fault. She's and he's dead like, now. yeah. And, and like, this is the guy's sister with a gun in front of you. Like you are, the guy doesn't even have that much common sense, right? In that, in that moments before his death, he can't even, he's can only excuse himself. He can only think selfishly. Um, so his character is all about like abusing the God, abusing like the awesome powers and, meaning of god in for his own like selfish inhuman terrible acts like um yeah i don't know what do you have to say for him i believe i truly started to hate him the first when they go to church for the first time after lenore's accidental suicide um oh and man that was that was shitty man yeah just the fact that it was like an accidental like the way they kind of show it so she's because of the sex she's been having with the preacher she's now pregnant Mm -hmm. which is what happens uh, when you don't use a condom so she tells him like yeah what are we gonna do i have i'm having your baby and he's like no 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 that's that's not my kid what are you talking about like obviously Mm -hmm. you know it's gonna gonna be one of those shit situations situations which is a very situation, very shitty situation for Lenora, who's like, who now she believes like God has abandoned her. This guy that is like the servant of God is abandoning her. And, and basically like he threatens her. He basically says like, if you don't deal with this, we're going to have a problem. Yeah, exactly. So, and she yeah, decides to take her own life. Um, at the last moment, she decides not to, cause like her grandma loves her and like this baby can have a happy family and, be happy but she slips and she ends up falling into her noose anyways and she died and the first thing after her funeral the first um mass i believe it's called i don't know i'm not really familiar with religious stuff but he he doesn't even mention her name and he talks about delusions and how these people are infected with delusions and delusions will will are like the start of sin and it Mm. just rubbing it in sort of like he's sort of praising himself for getting out of this situation while while rubbing it in unknowingly to the family that he caused tremendous harm so it's such a gross scene and you know that eventually leads to arvin spying on him and finding out he's a fucking weirdo pedophile so he's like maybe even even worse than that initial assumption like he is this is his act like this is what he does not just one girl but many girls yes. young girls uh, i think it was revealed like yeah it, it's fucked up so he does that while he's married and uh there's a shot so like arvin spying on him and this is like a bit when i started kind of not i don't want to say i had problems with this movie because i don't really have problems with it but uh it's like maybe a little more of time at the end could have serviced it better but it becomes a little jarring that the events after that what you just said that delusions kind of takes place and he's now spying on him and that all kind of becomes a little bit jarring like yeah it's uh, like a two-week jump it's moving from one yeah it's like two weeks go by but in like three edits yeah in like three cuts he's he's in, figured out his entire life story and now is about to kill him so it's a bit jarring how they get from a to b like that quick but anyway so he's he finds out like this guy's really like just a bad human a very what's one of those sins right like seven sins of whatever of it's like one of them is gluttony mm-hmm. one of them is lust something like that gluttony lust um, pride 
I don't know the other pride. Yeah. So I would just say Pattinson's character represents probably like all of those sins to a T. Like he's so there's the shot of him getting when he gets home to his wife and he like forces his wife down to go down on him and he like his shirt's open and he's got like a fat gut hanging out. I never thought I'd see a Robert Pattinson gut. I thought I I know. Yeah, weird shot, eh? Yeah. I think it might have been he might have been wearing a fat suit. I I give full credit to the director for making Robert Pattinson seem like a gross person. Yeah. Which is in- right before we see him as Batman. Come on. Yeah. Like, but uh, yeah, so he, the imagery that like it kind of stuck out to me was like, this guy's a representation of that, like lust that it's never enough. Like he, uh, like even after kind of doing these terrible acts with these young women, he still comes home, treats his wife like shit, just gets his nut off and like, that's it. Happy day, happy life. Mm-hmm. That's all he worries about. That's all he cares about. So like that imagery like just kind of ties it like no nah, this guy needs to die you know mm-hmm. his his him soaking in his lust for too long is a problem mm-hmm. in Arwen's eyes yeah and that sort of allows the chips to fall for the ending to happen with the first confrontation being Arvin confronting um, Preston because now he knows yeah like, he is for sure the cause of the death for, of of Lenora which yeah. is a and, fantastic um, scene I, I was fully hooked yeah. So he, uh, I don't think we ever talked about the Luger, the German Luger, but, uh, so that's set up pretty, pretty, like not pretty well, really well in the beginning of the movie. So when, uh, Arwen's father, uh, what's that? Willard comes home from war. What's that filmmaking law? That the, the gun. Yeah. It's the Chekhov's gun. Yeah. Chekhov's gun. Called. Yeah. When you, when yeah, you see it in the first so act, it has case, to go off in the third yeah. act. Yeah. <laughs> it's literally a gun in this movie. It's beautiful. It's almost like on the point of you know literally literary filmmaking but so we're set we're shown this german luger that um willard brings home an enemy weapon it's and he says this is the gun that killed hitler that's what he tells his uncle and they like, yeah, you're bullshitting me whatever but he takes it his uncle takes it as a gift um and so yeah anyways willard dies the future time passes time goes on and when we're now in the present time when like it's tom holland's character arwin is on the screen it's his birthday uh, his uncle passes the German Luger on to him and he says, it's time that you have this. Um, and like at, at that, from that point to the rest of the movie, it's like Arwen is like kind of clinging to this thing. It's like the last memory of his father, the last thing passed down, the last, in a way, like lesson passed down or that that last um, part of his dad that's given to him, right? Mm-hmm. From Before the gun, it was that idea of finish finish all your finish all the fights even if you don't start to finish it like beat the shit out of people ruthlessly you have to whatever and so now the next thing he gets or like the actual last thing he's gotten is this gun a pretty heavy moment like i think um just from like a cinema cinematographic level i keep butchering that word bro i don't know how you fucking say it like that cinematographic level yeah i don't know something like that anyways he um so it's like it's it's a really like kind of like a familial setting like a like these guys aren't wealthy they're really um kind of scraping at the end of the plate kind of um that's what it seems like they don't have that much but they have each other and this family is like what's important so i i thought it was a really good moment and then that gun later comes into play when arwin confronts uh what's his name Preston. Preston. Yes. He looks like a Preston too. Yeah. So that then 
his father's weapon, his last kind of heirloom, his gift to his son, yeah. is 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 brought out in this uh, confrontation. And um, yeah, like you said, that you kind of get the full psychological profile of Preston in this scene, where he's like really he's delusioned himself. Um, oh yeah, completely. He, he's sort of made this masquerade of this act, and he's sort of fully living it. I don't know, like this this seems to be some sort of trend for evil characters where they sort of start a behavior and then they they move things in their mind to justify their actions as being righteous and rightful in a, in a yeah horribly sadistic way and yeah yeah um arvin fucking fucking knocks him which is great and that sort of sparks off like this is where all of those plot lines are now colliding one after another yeah and it's great yeah oh yeah and that's exactly like then it starts to hammer it onto you like now we got to close this book up uh, very literally like close the book up um feels like that it feels like the ending of a book because it doesn't just end at that church right like it could end there the movie could realistically just yeah he got his re- he got his revenge uh whatever and happy happy ending but no um so Arvin kills Preston, um, like shoots him a couple times through the hand, through the head. And there's a lot of imagery of hands in this. Hands, bloody hands, if you notice that. I didn't really. Um, what do you mean by that? There's So there's when Willard beats the shit out of the, the two guys, mm-hmm. the two like hicks, and he comes back in the car and he's wiping his bloody hands with a rag. Um, there was that. There was in the beginning when Willard sees the soldier on the cross, there is like a close-up of a knife through the guy's foot so that wasn't a hand that was a foot but like and and even when Preston is shot he's first shot through the hand mm-hmm. um so there's these i don't know i'm not too sure what the connection is overtly to the like jesus symbolism but there is that connection there that i i kind of picked up on it that um kind of like maybe it's like how the sacrifice of man it's it's just like it's 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 not sacrifice, I guess, because he um, Preston isn't really sacrificed. He's revengefully killed. Yeah, but he's still crucified. Yeah, I, don't know. For, I might have to think about that. He's more. crucified for sins, though. His sins. Yeah, there way, you go. Yeah. That's you just said it. In a way, he's crucified. Then they show it through the hands like that. Um, yeah, I just kind of picked up on that. That was pretty interesting symbology. But after that, anyway, so uh, Arwen flees. Yeah, and I immediately his home, thought his his community. And I immediately thought he leaves like. That car is yeah. gonna fucking break down, and he's gonna get picked up by the couple. Yeah, I immediately yeah. thought that, and yeah, that's what happens from a line essentially. from Halo Two. Look how our faith has been rewarded. Uh-huh. There you Anyways. go. The Halo, the Halo had to come out in this yeah, one too. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. So that was great. Um, so yeah, we're then we're. Um, I like how they showed it to us. How they make you feel like they give you that oh fuck moment don't they don't they mm-hmm. where it's you're following carl and sandy in their car and then they see the broken down car on the side of the road and when they pull up on him it's arwin and you're like oh fuck like because everything you you like along the journey of this movie you've seen sandy and carl doing terrible things to the hitchhikers they pick up so they've been setting that up from the beginning and now it's like these two stories that are kind of coming together um Oh, and by the way, this is all after Arwen also kills. Um, no, wait, no, no never no, mind. This that's, is not that's, after. That's the finale. Is, no, 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 that's right. That's not before. Yeah, that's the finale. You're right. Um, so yeah, um, so he is now getting picked up 
he gets picked up by Carl and Sandy. And this is when you're like, ooh, like sitting on the end of the street seat kind of a moment mm-hmm. of the movie. Um, and it's like you've seen it from the beginning, but Carl kind of plays off his like that that role that he does. Like, isn't my wife so beautiful? Mm-hmm. Like that he, he has like those lines that you he keeps hitting, right? part of the routine yeah you want to fuck her uh pretty much like all right let's go for a picnic down in the forest and this random and, and like even like so this is i guess uh arwin is much smarter than regular people who have been in this situation because he's been uh, through shit he's been through shit exactly he's in one day especially even in that day like he has gone through enough shit where his awareness is through the roof well, he's always been skeptical so, of like people in general because his father would always say like yeah. there's like there's just some people in this world that are just no good dirty rotten people and that's how he yeah. found immediate suspicion out of Preston. And that's how he knew in this situation, like this isn't, this isn't like a good situation. And he's like on high alert because he's on the run. So yeah, this sort of climaxes in this shootout where they pull over to take a piss, but in reality he's going to try to kill him and take some nice naked pictures of his wife with the corpse. But, um, it's interesting to me that, um, Arwen is, I think he is. I'm, I'll rewatch this. By the way, I you've been saying he, it wrong for quite a bit. It's Arvin. Have I? Arvin. You, Arwin. You've been saying Arwin. It's Arvin. Ah, uh, fuck off. It's the same shit. No, wait, Arvin. Well, maybe for a German. All right. No, no, it's not. No, yeah. I might be offending Germans then. Sorry. Arvin is his name. And um, what was it? Yeah, I think he's the guy that shoots first in that scene. He is. He sees the gun and he sees him bring it out, but. He's not yeah. taking chances. Like he's already killed one person. He's not today. taking it's chances. Like let me just kill this guy, and that it sort of exactly. gets into the tragedy of Sandy because she wanted out for a while now. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. It's like yeah, the women in this movie really don't win, I guess, because Sandy, it, it's shown like she does want out of the situation. She's like, she's reluctantly doing these things, which I like, I wonder why. Like, why would she ever get in? This well, situation? she's dating like, a damn, serial Sandy. killer. You can't just leave. But like, why would it? Why would you do that in the first place? Like, you know, like she must be fucked up in the first place to like. Yeah, her father. Well, they they kind of touched on that and how their father just left them for nothing. Mm. And like, maybe she just craves some sort of male companionship, and she's not really getting that out of her brother. So she needs to get it somehow. And this guy was one of the first guys to maybe like latch it on and, and really put on the the charm. So I don't know. Ah, yeah it's a tragic it's tragic because so he uh arvin kills uh, carl first which is good it's like yeah carl get the fuck out of the picture now but then it's like he's face to face with a gun in front of um sandy and sandy has a gun to him and they're both like no i would like let's not do this let's like really let's not do this um and i think sandy pulls the trigger first or like she's uh like trigger kind of trigger happy or like trigger She's a trigger finger just going and she fires and then Arvin fires. Uh, Arvin's bullet hits her and we find out in a flashback scene that the narrator describes is that Carl didn't trust Sandy enough to put real bullets in her gun. So her gun was filled with blanks. Uh, therefore, Arvin is okay. And Sandy just takes a bullet. Um, and then like in like two seconds after that, the detective finds out that his sister has been murdered and the murderer was Arvin who he hadn't seen for like 10 years like the ending happens kind of all too fast it, it does it's a bit jarring but like the guy's like not that smart of a cop to figure out all those there's things. lots of content to get through yeah it's I mean, already it's a long a ass of, movie so it's like 
yeah things kind of had to go really fast yeah so arvin is like after he does all he's finally like yeah like i'm done i get like he feels he's done now he goes back to his original home that his like where his father built his church where his father and mother both died like he and jack his dog uh he like i think he says like i want to go back and like just like um kind of say his final goodbyes kind of thing which he never got to do well he also Um, promised to bury his dog and that too yeah and he wanted to like finally bury his dog give his dog a proper burial um and when he gets there it's uh like the cop is like already there or something well no he's he's not there to meet him he's not well he's there but then the cop kind of knew this would end up being where arvin went um oh yeah right so before yeah so the cop is like doing all this like mental math or something like where he's he finds out his uh sister has died he finds out that the gun that killed her was a luger he finds out that the only guy with a luger was wilford will his name the the boy's father and so that that must mean that the boy has the luger Mm -hmm. and was the guy that killed him and he knows like like, this is the last time he ever saw that was the last time he ever knew that about that kid or saw that kid was like when he was a nine-year-old little boy so he's the world's greatest detective in the matter of 30 seconds and figures out the entire situation and so before or not before um arvin even gets to his house like the cop is already on the move he's like yeah i'm gonna go meet him before he even gets there he's not gonna see me coming and i'm gonna kill him in revenge for killing my sister so now this is a double revenge story essentially but (laughs) <laughs> one is sort of more righteous than the other because he kind of just yeah. he, the cop kind of just does it out of pure rage like he could have helped his yeah, sister yeah, but he never really did whereas Arvin no. was always there for his sister so it's like a good duality for the end it's like yeah. also a good callback yeah. because when he got the Luca for his birthday his uncle was like shotgun won't do you no good and ended up being a Luger versus a shotgun yeah, man, that guy's shots on point. Like he just he's getting every guy. No guy's able to get. Dude, him. Luger's were something different. Like they they were the most technologically advanced pistols of of Ooh. of the era. Those those German engineers, man. So it's quite the weapon. Yeah, but yeah, um, it's it's a I'm trying to think. So it kind of ends at that point. Like it ends in a very melodramatic way, in a very where, noir way. You think it was noir? I think this was kind of like a um, hillbilly noir movie, in a way. It's uh, yeah, it could be. You could have just genreified it like that for sure. I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree. What would you? What um, would you think? I don't know what. What would, I don't know if I would call it noir at the end. I'm interested to see what what gave you that. Um, but for I don't know because he so he he gets into like a, a, he's hitchhiking again. I don't know why you would hitchhike again after that, but he gets in another guy's car and he's like dozing off his eyes are barely staying open but um then the narrator's saying some stuff over him he's like he's finally at peace something along those mm-hmm. lines well this is this um, is this yeah is the I, first time since his whole in so many years that he's actually been able to move on from something tragic that's happened yeah. to him it's like this is this is a fresh start for him for the first time ever yeah so um in that way it's like yeah just it, it is sort of symbolized by the cinematography where it's like 
he just looks back as he's driving away. It's like he's just leaving all that behind mm-hmm. and into something new. And mm-hmm. it's kind of ambiguous on, on what happens to him, whether he goes and fights in yeah, Vietnam and just, there's a flashback to either the future or maybe it's just a dream that he's having of him oh, fixing yeah, the car with a kid and a wife. And yeah, who knows? But that's okay. I think that's it's interesting because like those are all the questions that it asks you. It's like, well, now what? And even he says, um, like, I'm good at killing people, so maybe I'll go into the war like my daddy. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's like, yeah, well, what does this kid do? But it just ends off on a close close up on his like eyes closing. So it's like, all right, none of that matters. At least he gets to rest for like the first yeah, time. None of that matters. Like, now. He gets to feel just- at peace. No, that matters now. It's yeah. a good come down for it's the movie like in the moment. as well as the character mm-hmm. to where like it's an interesting close, like really just to end on a close up of him, like after going through all that. It's like it's a really like it gives relief. I think like it's meant to give you relief, like kind of give you a sense of content with the movie, mm-hmm. where it's like yeah, you. It doesn't end in a really significantly big way. Like he doesn't get the girl, he doesn't get a bag of money, he doesn't go into the war. Like it just ends. Like the story just kind of ends. So it's 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 like a way to kind of like I don't know I don't know I'm interested how do you get noir from it though it's just the the whole setting and situation isn't really um, it's not really um, a typical story it's a very dark and gritty story about human nature uh, I kind of get yeah. No Country for Old Men vibes from this movie not, yeah, not necessarily that, to yeah. like the degree of quality but no Country for Old Man is like a noir western where it's like a deconstruction yeah. of, of that. So this isn't really yeah. a deconstruction of anything in particular, um, any genre that is. I think it's, yeah, I don't know if it's a genre deconstruction. To me, it's like more of a thematic deconstruction, if anything, um, where it's like just trying to present you like it's through these characters and through the setting. It's trying to give you a story and, and through that story kind of display these ideas of our relationship with God. It's really just like here is here is how we view our relationship with God in a in a really kind of and like this is how the narrator also plays into it and the fact that it's like the author narrating his own work. Um it's like just from a God's from a God's bird's eye view almost like from that godly perspective of viewing human nature. That's how I see it. Um yeah. And like, yeah, like just kind of like the fact that it's like the narrator is the guy, the author of the book, and he's talking about his own character. Like you saying that in the beginning really kind of hits that point even more home. But yeah, like the fact that they use a narrator, the fact that it's, it doesn't really end in a, in a huge way. It just kind of ends. It's, it's really to me just trying to show a story. How, 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 like, how, like you said, if you, if you come up with these characters, like, and you give them, like their set of beliefs and ideologies and you let them occupy a world and like let them do their thing it very much felt like that mm-hmm. where the characters are all really well thought out and have a strong purpose and their characterizations are all proper like really well written characterizations mm-hmm. and then the story just evolves with the character and your f- progress through the movie is kind of along with each character you know i think my final point will be um sort of like the way these stories interweave and, and you can tell through multiple rewatches like what would happen like yeah like you said like what ifs there's lots of what ifs throughout this movie and 
Um, there's mm-hmm. lots of small interactions that lead to huge ramifications down the road. Like there's huge threads to follow throughout the entire history of the characters presented that this whole narrative presented to us in this movie, it feels like some sort of divine narrative where there is some sort of yeah. creator working his magic and sort of yeah. placing these characters together in situations to see how they act and whether that's God or whether that's the devil is the question, mm. right? Mm. So it's just seeing how these people I, who have different perspectives on faith wow. that's, interact. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll just say I that. like that point. I like that point. I, I just, I'll, we'll leave it at that too because I think that's a beautiful uh kind of cap on the end of our discussion but i almost had the gut reaction that you just had like or, or like right uh, in the moment when um he fires the luger at sandy and sandy's doesn't fire like it's not a bullet or whatever that's that what you just said is a thought that came into my head i'm like oh so this is like god is on his side type of a thing like this is like a divine intervention story like we're God isn't just the narrator recapping the story, but he's an active participant. But I think that might be our own interpretation. That might not be the necessary filmmaking uh, motivation behind telling the story. Like, I think, I don't know, but you got that too. Like, that you did get that read. So maybe it is, you know? I think it has to be because think of the amount of effort they put in to have these characters that seemingly hardly interacted in the beginning yeah but, yeah, but eventually, yeah right and they just come together yeah, yeah. And, and so in a way yeah it, so there is that godly divine intervention and the whole story of, being about faith and the yeah. sort of you know this is kind of meta but again like the narrator being the author of the story and him sort of commentating and yeah. knowing every character's perspective and seeing how they'll interact and, and come together it feels like some sort of divine biblical tale to to tell yeah stories of morality about yes. faith it seemed to me too like a very biblical tale like this is if there was a modern day bible this could be a story in that bible other than star wars other than star wars other than star, star wars is the bible let's not get it twisted okay sorry okay. my bad if there's a movie bible if there's a cinema bible uh it, it could be star wars nerd <laughs> I was I was literally talking to my mom about that today. She's like, Sid, do you see yourself as a nerd? I was like, Mom, do normal people talk about Star Wars as much as me? Then they would all be nerds too. But I think there's I think there's um a level of Star Wars that if you start talking to that level, you're no longer just a fan, you're probably a nerd. And that's probably when you can like start identifying the different classes of Star Destroyers. Oh. I don't know. Oh, squadrons come out Maybe. soon, so we gotta We'll see if my Wi-Fi holds up, but it comes out. Oh, dude, Squadron's gonna be sick. Yeah. Anyways, let's let's not let's not get distracted. This Friday. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that was the devil all the time. Um, despite some weird critic reviews, I thought it was a very strong movie. Netflix's yeah. best movie by far. So. Yeah, I I would agree with you on that. I think it's my one of my favorite movies of the year. I'll go as far as to say that. It's. Which is like, yeah, we haven't had many movies this year. Um, it's going to be an interesting end of the year, like, favorite movie list just because there's not that many movies that have come out. But I th- I could see this movie being on my list. I could see it being in the top five of my list. I could see it there, too. Um, yeah. Like, dude, like, there's maybe the pacing and, and um, at the end and I guess some plot lines being not as interesting. Um but again, like this is a movie I find that I could probably go back to and just look at a single character yeah. and look at their scenes and, and see, see 
what's going on there. So highly recommended it. Yeah. Uh, I don't, yeah. It's, it's a great movie. Great movie. It's a two thumbs up from us. Yep. I don't know if we have, we don't have a rating system yet. I don't think we're going to have a rating system. I think, I thought we agreed in the first episode not to have a rating system. Nah. I'll give you, I'll give you this. This is a, it's a good watch with or without smoking weed. Um, Did you do both? It's a good watch with or without a drink. I, I, hey, you know me. Okay. Yeah, I do. Um, No need to answer. uh, No, but it's, I'll be honest with you. It's a really, it's a really good watch. Like in no matter what circumstance, like I think you said you watch it with your friends. Um, right. Yeah. It's a good Rothschild friends. It's yeah. like, yeah. Cause there's like, cool. there's obviously like, su- it's like a super heavy movie. And I think actually watching with friends would help mm. because it helped live in the situation, especially with Roy yeah. scene. We were laughing our asses yeah, off. Yeah. It was hilarious. So, so did you guys like you, did you get in a conversation about it after like a little bit, but it? it was also like two in the morning. So everyone kind of uh, wanted yeah. to go home. Yeah. True. Um, but yeah, so it, highly recommend it's on netflix so easy movie to find easy movie to watch it's got your boys tom holland robert pattinson who are you know huge really great in this movie it also got um we didn't credit him for playing uh willard but the guy that plays pennywise and bill skarsgård uh bill skarsgård yeah sorry i didn't know what skarsgård he was but bill skarsgård um he plays willard and i he in my first reading i thought he was my favorite performance to be honest I think it's grown to be Tom Holland now. Yeah, but same with me, in, Tom yeah, Holland. Yeah, I, yeah, I. Oh yeah, like especially if you're a Tom Holland fan, I think like for sure check this out because, uh, like that fucking Spider Man is just blown out of the waters. Like you forget about Spider Man ever existing. I'll be honest with you. I love Spider Man. I love his portrayal of Spider Man, but I want to see him in more dramatic, more serious movies for sure. Yep. Yep. Same here. All right. So. Uh, we can end it if yeah. you're listening um, on Apple Podcasts Spotify or Google Play make sure you give us a rating really helps us out um, if you don't follow us already yes, yes. follow us on Instagram we constantly post stuff like stories little clips when our episodes are coming out comment down in the comment section we'd love to have talks with you and yeah make sure you follow us at Mythic Morons thanks for listening I'm signing out peace